0: for their protection, that for centuries the British Navy remained the most powerful in the world. From the moment war is declared, Britain becomes an embattled island, and for the industrialised power that she has become, the safety of merchantmen bringing in food, fuel and raw materials represents the difference between survival or defeat. Whilst the French and later the German armies could spill over man-made artificial boundaries, the vital stretch of water between Britain and the rest of Europe has been a very different proposition. Even during the highly mechanised war of 1939 to 1945, during an era of airborne armies, the English Channel still proved an uncrossable barrier. When France fell and Britain stood alone, July 1940 became the time of threatened invasion. Hitler's attempt had been closely paralleled a century and a half earlier by Napoleon. His elaborate plans for invasion were foiled by the Navy's far-distant, storm-beaten ships, upon which the Grand Army of Napoleon had never looked, but which stood between it and the dominion of the world. The invasion of England, apparently, is not a thing to be undertaken lightly, as the Spaniards had found out two centuries earlier. In 1596, eight years after the defeat of his original Armada, King Philip of Spain sent a fleet of most unwilling ships against England in wild, autumnal weather. Twenty great galleons were sunk in the Bay of Biscay, and the rest somehow clawed their way back to Ferrol. An even larger force sailed soon afterwards, with similar lack of success, and the final Spanish armada, sailing in 1601, actually managed to land an army in Ireland, calling on those forces opposing the English crown to join them. A junction was effected, but a spirited charge by English cavalry caused the Irish to flee and the Spaniards to surrender. Yet it is the great armada of 1588 that everyone most remembers. An armada that presented the most serious invasion threat that Britain has ever known. How was it that such an apparently overwhelming force was chased, chivied and finally destroyed with hardly a single British casualty? Let us go back in time four centuries and find out.
1: 1888, a year of destiny, a year when all Europe waits, breathless with apprehension for what must inevitably come. For years past, Spain has threatened the sovereignty of England, and only the constant protestations of Elizabeth, her queen, with her promises to punish the pirates that sail under the Red Cross of England, have prevented Spain from undertaking the long-awaited invasion. Philip, king of Spain, is becoming the great ogre who threatens the nation, the bogey with which to frighten naughty children. Yet there are many English people who recall how in 1553 the news had come to them that he was to marry Mary Tudor, their queen. He had landed a year later, bringing with him a massive fleet of a hundred sail and some 6,000 men-at-arms, although, urged by his English advisers, not one of these soldiers was allowed to set foot on English soil. He had not been an unpopular prince, especially as it was hoped that the cold and ageing Mary would produce an heir. Many Protestants, too, actually welcomed his stay in their country, knowing it was his restraining influence that checked the bigoted Mary from persecuting them. Had an heir been forthcoming, it is possible that he would have ruled over England, Spain, Holland, Flanders, and the vast Spanish Empire overseas, making him the most powerful monarch in the world. But it was not to be. At last... Obeying the orders of his father, the Emperor Charles, Philip returned to Spain, and heartbroken and ill, the soured, barren queen stood at her window in Greenwich Palace and remained there long after his boat had disappeared from sight. Once he was gone, her councillors moved in and the hellish fires of Smithfield began to be lit. Philip returned to England two years later, begging for help against France. In this he was successful. 8,000 English fighting men joining his troops in Flanders.